Well, I paid off my debts, student loans, things like that. Well, I bought a new car. I bought a house. I uh, bought some furniture. I bought some my relatives some furniture. And in about eight months, I had zero money in the bank account. Zero. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To reduce risk in your life, go to myworstinvestmentever.com today and take the risk reduction assessment I've created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. It's time you start building wealth the easy way by reducing risk. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A.E. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Richard Bliss. Richard, are you ready to join our mission? Absolutely. I'm ready to be here. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely ready. I'm excited to get you on, and we've had some discussion before we started, and I think we're going to going to be a fun one for the audience. But let me introduce you to the audience. Richard Bliss is the founder of Bliss Point Consulting, a social media consulting company that helps improve executives' online communications and sales teams' social selling behaviors. A LinkedIn top voices influencer, experienced executive communications manager, and social media coach, Richard has helped thousands of people master social media tools and become fluent in social conversations, building their platforms, and confidence to reach their audience and define their brand effectively. Richard, take a minute and fill in a little bit more about the value you bring to the world. Well, Andrew, that value that I bring has a lot to do with the audience that I work with. And as you just said, I work with a lot of salespeople around the world. I work with executives of large corporations to small individuals oftentimes looking to transfer or change or the way that they want their, the trajectory of their career. Now, the value that I bring is one, I've been there. I've been the vice president of marketing for a variety of software companies. I'm here in Silicon Valley. I work with executives because I've been an executive. And the value that I bring is, is I'm able to help leaders and individuals understand how to take that next step to overcome the friction points that are holding them back, to understand why should I be doing this? How do I do this? And these are these little questions. Sometimes it's the smallest thing, particularly an executive, because the higher you get in leadership, the lonelier it gets. And sometimes you, it's hard to ask the dumb questions. And there are dumb questions. And it's really hard to ask them when you don't know and you don't know who to turn to. And what do, what do you think? I mean, maybe you can give some advice to myself and my audience. I mean, everybody's on LinkedIn these days, but it's hard to figure out what to share there or, you know, Sometimes, you know, for instance, today, I shared a personal story, and it's a story of helping my mother, who's survived a stroke, to start walking again on a treadmill. And each day, I put something up there about it and what it means to me and kind of what, we can, what lessons we can take from it. But that's kind of personal, and not everybody wants to do personal. And you think about what, what advice would you give to us? pertaining, let's just say LinkedIn as an example or any other place. Tell us some no, advice. No, we're going to stick with LinkedIn because I tell people yeah. that LinkedIn is your digital, it's the start of your digital identity. It's the hub of your digital identity. And the reason is 
Now there's Instagrammers out there and TikTokers out there who are going to argue with me, but I'm going to say, no, I go into an audience of a thousand people and I'll ask a raise of hands. How many don't have a Twitter account? And there'll be a lot of hands go up. How many don't have Facebook, don't have Instagram, don't have TikTok, lots of hands go up. And then I ask, how many of you don't have a LinkedIn account? Not a single hand is raised. And that's why we have to think about the fact that our digital identity starts with LinkedIn because you and I, the first thing we did is we looked each other up on LinkedIn. I didn't go to your website. I didn't Google you. I just went to LinkedIn. And that's where a lot of people are starting to realize that, well, that's kind of where it starts, but that's where you have to start be thinking. And I got to tell you, Andrew, when I work with executives or salespeople, when I look at their LinkedIn profile, the first thing I see is I'm looking for a job. And that comes and that comes back to how we think about LinkedIn in the past. It was a place where we put our CV, our cover letter of our resume. And then here's what I'll do. I'll go into a room. There'll be 50 people there. And I'll ask people, why did you get on LinkedIn? Networking, a Rolodex. I have to explain to my younger audience that that's this round thing with dead tree on it. <laughs> right. You and I can laugh about it, but they have to look it up on a, they have to Google it. And then, so networking electronic Rolodex and looking for a job. Those are the two reasons they joined LinkedIn always hundred percent. So then I asked them, how many of you were on LinkedIn this week? Every hand goes up. How many of you were on LinkedIn this week looking for a job? Well, oftentimes I'm dealing with sales teams and their managers are in the room or on the zoom call. And then they're just like, uh, I'm like, wait, what is it you're doing on LinkedIn? You just said, yeah, that's why they joined in the first place, but they forgot now that they're actually interacting with customers and partners and vendors and employees, not hiring managers. And so that's the number one advice that I give to people is like, look, you should be using LinkedIn to show people you doing your job, not looking for a job, even if you're happy in your position. But Andrew, you asked me a question. Let me answer that question. You asked me for a piece of advice if I was to look at your profile. And I see, I'm looking at your profile right now. And I see this beautiful post that you made with the video of your mother on the treadmill. The but here, but LinkedIn isn't like other social media platforms yeah. because I also see right before that another post with Avi Liran or Lyran. Yep, yep. And it appears yeah. that those posts those posts were made nearly at the same time. Mm. Yep. LinkedIn only allows you to keep one conversation active at a time. So when you make a post go live on LinkedIn, it'll start to promote it for the next. And by the way, it say, you've got, uh, how many you got? You got 28,000 followers. Mm. When LinkedIn, when you put a post out though, it doesn't go to 28,000. It only goes to a small fraction of your connections. About 10% of your connections will see that post. And then for the next hour, it'll monitor what's the activity around that post. And that will determine how popular the algorithm thinks your post is. And should it be shared with a wider audience? Yep. But if you post something within the first three hours or four hours after that first post, it, disrupts it will hide, it'll hide it. It'll hide the second post from 99% of your network because it's like, no, 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 we're testing this one over here, which is why now, you know, why, how come some of my posts do so well? And some of them just die on the vine because you're stepping on each other now. Let's say a day goes by. So the post about your mother went live. Day goes by and you post another post. LinkedIn will shut down the first post, test the second one, and then compare the two to see which one's performing better and then go on to promote that post. This is something that is so fundamentally different than TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, where more is better. LinkedIn's like, nope. 
we're going to give you one piece of conversation that you can really participate in with a post per every about three, four hours. And even then, if you start to abuse that, we're going to, we're only going to keep it. So that's one big piece of advice that a lot of people are unaware of. Yes, that's huge. That's huge. So if we were to think about, you know, so less is more, first of all, less and, is more. And that's, and that's great. And if I think about the pace, does it make sense just to say one good quality post a day? Yes, absolutely. So here's what I do. I tend to put out my most important content on Thursday. Hmm. So I put out some content on Monday. I put out some content on Tuesday. This is the conversations I want to have. Yep. Wednesday, I try to put out a post about my podcast. And then on Thursday, that's when I put out my most important piece of content. And that's when my team's mobilized behind it. And that's where I want the attention because I let that run now till Monday. I don't interfere with it. Hmm. I don't step on it. I don't make something else because if you... A lot of people I see them get into an automated cadence where you're, they're using automating posting yep. tools yep. and they're putting out a piece of content every, every day. Well, that's great. But every once in a while, you're going to have a piece of content that's going to hit like a wildfire. And as soon as that next piece of content goes out, it's like dousing it with water. It's like, well, we're going to put that one out here. We're going to now promote this unimportant thing. Mm. LinkedIn is looking for you to be present. They are not looking for you to use them as a news feed for your content. So anything that automates the process of engaging or putting content out on LinkedIn, they will do LinkedIn's algorithm will do everything it can to defeat you and your efforts. Automated posts, it's going to defeat it. Hashtags, you use more than three to five hashtags, it's going to demote your post. Tagging, if you tag four or five people and they don't respond, LinkedIn says you're spamming them demote your post, add a link to YouTube. Remember I said, there's a tiny little fraction of your network that gets to see that post. If you add a link to YouTube, you are taking their advertising dollars and sending them somewhere else. They will demote that even further. So sometimes you'll put out a post, you'll be down to 1% of your network is going to see that post because of all of these rules that LinkedIn is preventing you from doing because it's just not good for their platform. Right. And so I mean, I, sorry, this is not what we were here to talk about, but oh, I can go this on and is on. valuable for, for, for my audience, for sure. I know for the listeners out there, there's stuff that you can implement right away from what you're learning. Yep, yes. continue. Well, the worst performing content on LinkedIn is video. Mm. By far, by a factor of 10. And the reason is, is because the LinkedIn algorithm, and I can come back to this, the LinkedIn algorithm is looking for you to be present. So it is looking for content that you put out there that then drives a conversation in real in near real time. And when I say near real time, I mean about that first hour. So if you put out a piece of content and it starts and they measure that conversation by comments, you get a comment, you respond, Go, comment, respond, comment, respond. The algorithm's watching all of that in almost real time saying, hey, they call it velocity. Look at the velocity of all this activity. This must be important. Also, a comment is worth five to seven times more value, point value, than a like. So what happens when I watch a video? I click the like button and I move on because that's what I'm taught in Instagram, Facebook, right? I'm yep. showing you a little love and I move on. LinkedIn's like, that did not add any value. That didn't cause people to stop and stay on our platform. That didn't start a conversation and videos tend to not start conversations. Mm. The second worst performing content on LinkedIn is anything with a stock photo. 
because that doesn't drive a conversation. Pretty much people just click the like button and move on. And LinkedIn's like, no, they're going to give you two points for that like. But if you can get somebody to leave a comment, they're going to give you 10 points for that comment. And when those comments start to pile up, the points start to pile up. The algorithm's like, oh, it trips a little signature and says this content needs to be shared with a wider audience. Right. And it doesn't matter how many connections, it doesn't matter how many connections you have. It doesn't matter how many followers you have. The algorithm is watching the activity of the post during that short window to determine how relevant it is. So much gold out there for the listeners. And just go to LinkedIn and type in Richard Bliss, B-L-I-S-S, <laughs> and you'll be able to see great examples. I'm just going, as you're talking, I'm scrolling through your feed. And one of the things I noticed about, and this one has been a hard one about LinkedIn that I just don't really know or understand, is newsletters. I see something, digital first, leadership, subscribe. Yeah. Tell us just yeah. about, well, what, what are those? I mean, I think of newsletters, I think I'm sending out an email newsletter or something like that. So there's a caveat with this one. Mm. So a couple of years ago, LinkedIn approached me. I was uh, one of LinkedIn top voices in sales, one of their top influencers, number eight in the world. And they said, we'd like to, by the way, when they reached out and told me that, I thought it was, a, I thought it was one of those spammers phishing. I actually went with the guy up on one. Exactly. Been voted by your peers. Yes. I'm like, that kid, I think you're mistaken. You got the right Richard Bliss. And I went and looked up the guy on LinkedIn and messaged them there saying, is this legit? And then they were just trying this newsletter beta. And they said, we'd like to give you access to the newsletter to try it out. So that was about two years ago. And so my newsletter is now up to about 65, 68, just shy of 70,000 subscribers, I think. But the reason I say there's a caveat is because they just rolled it out to everyone about two months ago. Mm. So you're probably getting in your inbox a bunch of requests. Hey, subscribe to my, yeah, subscribe to my newsletter because everybody has one now. So my newsletter is slightly unique because it was way out in front. But what it is, is that the worst, so LinkedIn has these things called articles. Think of them almost as blog entries, right? Now, several years ago, that was a new feature. And when LinkedIn rolls out a new feature, they just promote the crap out of it. Yeah. That's why you're seeing polls everywhere. It's a new feature. Anyway, the articles were a new feature, so they promoted them heavily. Then they realized that it was damaging the experience on their platform because mm -hmm. people were going to these articles and then leaving. They weren't coming back. Right. And so they, they didn't shut down the feature, but they turned off the promotion. So when you write a long form article on LinkedIn, LinkedIn does not promote it to anybody. It doesn't promote it to a fraction of your network. It doesn't promote it to anybody, zero. The only way you can get somebody to look at an, an article is that two ways. One, you put the link somewhere and send it to them, mm. or they come to your profile and they see it in the featured section or your activity. That's the only way somebody's going to see it. Well, what the newsletters did was said, okay, let's blend the two. So I can write an article, just a standard article. Or I can write an article and make it a newsletter. And then LinkedIn will send it to the people they think would be interested in it. And that's the clue. I have not, I have 65,000 subscribers and I did not ask a single one of them to subscribe to that. Hmm. What happens is that it goes to a certain group of people who then share it and then other people see it and they like it. And so they subscribe. And so it's a very viral experience. So that's what you're seeing with these newsletters. You can jump on and try, 
and you'll probably, most people will jump to one, two, 3000 subscribers fairly quickly, but it's kind of, that's what's going on with these newsletters. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes in this social media world, or maybe just in this world, sometimes we feel like we're just test subjects in a mass test. We are. <laughs> it's not that we feel we are test, test subjects. Our brains, our bodies, all of that. All of that. So, so, you know, lots of gold in what you just shared. And I would like to wrap up this discussion before we move sure. on to the main question by thinking about the average man or woman out there who's kind of, they're inspired to start to get engaged on LinkedIn. They see the value of it. They're overwhelmed with work. They're overwhelmed in their life. Another place that I got to devote time. What would you say is the simplest way to start on LinkedIn? Great, great question. And I have a very specific answer. Unlike other social media platforms, LinkedIn advertises and promotes your activity, not just your content. And this is a fundamental difference that can be used to your advantage. And what that means is every time you like something, LinkedIn takes whatever you liked and puts it into the feed of your connections and says, Andrew liked this. And so you, if you and I are connected, then I'm going to get every time you like something, not every time, but oftentimes when you like something, I'm going to see that, which means that you got to be careful what you're liking because I'm going to associate whatever you liked with your brand. So liking, we all understand how liking works. So it works slightly liking, different. Like on Facebook where you're like, yeah, no, fight back. no, not like that. no, it is. I want this piece of content to be associated with my personal brand. So I will like it. That is not how we interact with likes on Instagram, Facebook, or any other place. Usually we're just talking to the author yep. on LinkedIn. We're talking to our network, uh, but that that's not the advice. Here's yep. the advice. Yep commenting. Remember, I told you, you get one post a day. Yep. You get unlimited comments. Mm. So when I see comments, I will see people saying, good job, way to go, happy birthday, whatever it is, because they're still in that, locked into that Instagram habit that they think they're talking to the author. But here's what, would tell the, here's what I'm going to tell your audience. And that is whenever you leave a comment on LinkedIn, you have to stop and think, wait a minute, this comment and the post I'm commenting on is going to be lifted and placed into the feed of my connections. What do I want to say in this comment that would be valuable to my connections? Hmm. Not to the person I'm responding to, but to the connections who will see this out of context, because there'll be a thousand comments on a post. But so if you made a post, well, for example, the post about your mother has eight comments. Yep. If I was to leave a comment right there, my network would see your video. And my comment, they wouldn't see the other eight comments. So what should I say? Oh, this was touching, Andrew. I appreciate it. Well, my audience now says they have no idea what I'm talking about. And human nature is they're not going to take the time to go figure that out. Instead, what I would say is, oh, this is very touching, Andrew. It's incredible to see the amount of effort and commitment you're putting into this. And sharing this story allows me to be part of it. Thank you so much for demonstrating how we can all remember to be in touch with the more important things in our life. Okay. So I, I just made that up, but there's a, that comment now is going to show up in my feed with your video. I have in some ways taken over the narrative for my audience so that they know why I'm actually engaging with this. You'll get it. You'll appreciate it. Mm. But my audience, so what I'll tell your audience is, look, if you're looking for a job, if you're looking for a prospect, if you're looking to close a deal, if you're looking for anything, 
Commenting is the number one way to get your face and your name in front of the widest audience. You don't have to go out and create brand new content. You simply comment on other people's content. And you know, and I both know, you go look at content. There's not a lot of comments like that. People are just saying, congrats. Good job. Well, Good job. That's awesome. On what? Awesome. (laughs) Cool. Cool story, bro. I mean, we said, cool story. Like, no. Make a comment. And remember, you're talking to your audience. If that's a future hiring manager, Mm. if that's a a future employer, a future or a future prospect, what would my prospect, what would I want my prospects to know about why I'm commenting on this post that would be valuable to them? That is the simplest way to avoid this overwhelming need. Oh, I've got to go create the perfect post. Nope. Start participating in other people's conversations and LinkedIn will start rewarding you. Your content, your face, your profile start showing up in other people's feeds. That's great. You know, such actionable advice. Let me just ask a question about something that I often do. So I'm looking at a post here that you did two days ago. And it says, overcoming insurmountable obstacles is one of the truest tests of leadership. And then you go through, here are some leadership qualities that he exuded to bring Chipotle back, increasing revenue by nearly $2 billion. And then you go through items, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And one of them, I think, really resonates with me. And that one is dial into customer pain points. What I normally do if I see a post and I read it, it's kind of a way of showing the author that I read it, number one. Yes. But also... That is the statement that resonates with me. So I usually copy paste that into my comments, say, dial in, and I say quotes, dial into customer pain points. That's what really resonates to me from your post. Does that, is that a smart thing to do? That's a perfect thing to do because now your comment with my quote shows up in your feed of your network. And now you have taken the part that you feel is most important to your network, put it front and center so they don't have to read the whole thing. And this is the major transformation of LinkedIn and marketing in general is don't drive your audience to your content, put your content in front of your audience. And that's what you've done. You found the quote that was most pertinent. Here's an even a better trick, Andrew. And this is one I teach in my advance for advanced salespeople. Let's suppose you wanted to get my attention. Let's suppose I was a prospective client. We've never met, but you see me make that post. So what you could do is do this. You actually create a post that says, I read an interesting post the other day by Richard Bliss and you tag me in the post. Now we don't, now hear it clear. We don't know each other. I'm a prospect of yours. Here's what he had to say. And then you drop that quote in there. The reason I find this so important is because in today's world, as I work with my clients, I find it so important that we understand the pain point, blah, blah, blah. I really enjoyed the read and I found this really valuable. Now, what's going to happen as soon as you hit post? I'm going to get notified that Andrew Stotes just mentioned me in a post. What's the first question I ask myself? Oh, shoot. What is he saying? That's the second question. (laughs) The The first question is, who's Andrew? Yeah. Who is this guy? And then I go find out what he had to say. Now, what's cool then is that you mentioned, I read an interesting post by Richard Bliss. You tagged me. Mm. You mentioned what I said, but then you went on to take ownership of this conversation and talk about to your audience when in reality, you're really talking to me, but it doesn't look like it. It looks like you're talking to your network. Hey, I found this really interesting quote by some guy, George Clooney. And here's what he said. 
but you're really going after me. This is an, inc- I teach this to advanced salespeople, for people for advanced sales. I have gotten feedback, Andrew, where when they have done this technique, the prospect the next day reaches out and says, hey, I saw your post. Could we set up a call? I'd really like to talk about that thing that you, that you posted. And it's been, I mean, it almost feels like cheating. But in today's world, we would do this naturally and face-to-face, but here it's very purposeful, but it doesn't see, I don't see it that way. Mm. I wouldn't see that, that you had done that on purpose. I would see that you had shared some of my content. It was flattering. I was impressed. And then you talked about something that I found really valuable. Hey, hey, can we connect? I re- and I call this in my organization, giving before asking. You gave me recognition. You gave yep. me authority. You gave me a validation before you ever ask for a connection request or an in-mail or a call, anything. GBA, giving before asking, ladies and gentlemen. Are you doing that or are you asking before giving? What uh, well, we know the answer. We know the answer. Exactly. So everybody's asking before giving. Yeah. Well, so much gold. I mean, truthfully, I don't normally go into that much detail, but I think you just have a lot of value to add. And I think you really delivered for the audience. So we really appreciate it. And now. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, (laughs) tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. There's a lot, a lot of different stories. I have one in particular. I had an opportunity through some good luck that I was part of a company that had a huge windfall. And the owner of the company, I felt that I had made a huge contribution. I wasn't a stock owner or anything like that, but I had made a huge contribution. And he gifted me, or he gave me $500,000 cash as a thank you. That is a shockingly big number for someone to say thank you. But I had earned it in some ways because he walked away with millions. And we were, sit- we were actually sitting in a room one time when he was, uh, and he was a young man. And we were going through negotiations with a vendor who was looking to acquire him. And I worked for him. I was an employee. I was much older than he was. And I can remember the, the finance guy talking to him and asked him about the structure of the company, you know, who owned what percentage. And he told them. And then the, the guy got a confused look on his face and looked at me. He says, well, what's your share of this? And I said, I have none. And he looked at me. He said, you're very loyal or you're very foolish. And I got to tell you, that was not a fun feeling. Now. The young man I was working with had incredibly high integrity. And so when the deal came through and millions ended up in his bank account, he was generous and gave me, cut a check for $500,000. Well, now that's like winning the lottery, right? I mean, that's, that's, I won the lottery, although I had to pay 50% in taxes, just so we're clear that. Yeah, you live in an interesting the, state in regards to taxes, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. So I had, uh, I had to give uh, a lot of that. So now I've got $250,000. What am I going to do with that? Well, I paid off my debts, student loans, things like that. Well, I bought a new car. I bought a house. I uh, bought some furniture. I bought some of my relatives some furniture. <laughs> and in about eight months, I had zero money in the bank account. Zero. I might have had $20,000 and I think about it, but I think that even went away too. And I look back at that because in here to the young man who actually would gifted that to me, he took his money and bought Cisco stock. Mm. Okay. 
And this was quite a few years ago and Cisco stock was pretty low. And here I, so when you talk about the worst investment I ever made, Ethan Allen furniture is the worst investment I ever made because I took, I had no debt. I had all of this cash and I could have done so much with it. And now I have continued to make some foolish investments over time. Buying houses high and selling them low continues to be a problem I, that I've had. But that one in particular, I look back and think I was a foolish young man. I had a family, I had kids, and I didn't have anybody around to tell me, oh, wait, stop. You have no debt, live within your means and take this and set this aside. Set this aside. I got a phone call right about that time from a dear friend who said, hey, you've never heard of this thing, but it's called Bitcoin. I think you really should take a look at it. And this, we're talking 15, 20 years ago. And nope, I bought Ethan Allen furniture. (laughs) And, And it has to do with sometimes not being aware and having mentors who are around to give you some advice. I thought I was pretty savvy and pretty smart. And now I look back and it was just, it was so foolish. It's moved beyond pain. I can laugh about it now. But it still is shocking to think that I had all my debts paid off and I'm sitting there with a quarter of a million dollars cash just sitting in my bank account. I can remember I lived in a small community at the time and the bank president knew who I was. I was the (laughs) right. He would take me to lunch because I had all this. There was so much going on there that the vice president of the Federal Reserve for the Western United States came and visited this bank president. Because at the time I had so much money going back and forth, it looked, you know, they wanted to know what was going on. But no, Andrew, that was my most foolish. It's not even a true investment, right? It was the most foolish use of money. And I look back and I think today, as I look at what's going on today, and I got, it's not the same world, Mm. but I just want young people particularly to be careful. And my children are so much more savvy with their money now. And I don't know if it's because I made such foolish mistakes, but I, I got to tell you, it's so there you uh, go. I don't know. Does that answer, uh, is that the worst? That's a pretty bad investment. Pretty bad one. So what lessons did you learn? How would you summarize them? I learned that true wealth is way different than income, right? Was I wealthy? I was for a, a split second. I was wealthy, but I had no way to sustain it. I had no way to sustain that level of wealth that would match, oh, hey, I've got a quarter of a million dollars in the bank account. That means I can go buy stuff. No, I had no groundwork of understanding that. And so t- today, I don't, I get thrilled when I've got you know, some cash in the bank that I know doesn't have any claims on it. And my wife looks at me sometimes because I've remarried since. And she doesn't realize just how appreciative I am that there is money in the bank that is not going anywhere or in the stock account or in the investment. So what I learned was small incremental investments over time is so much more important than large lump sums of winning the lottery or whatever. And so I focus on the consistent, timely, small incremental steps to growing wealth and growing success rather than trying to go hit the home run or you know throw the Hail Mary or whatever it might be, because I've had that happen more than once and learned my lesson like the third time. And I was like, okay, enough of that. So maybe I'll share a few things I took away. I've been writing a lot of notes as you've been talking since the beginning, but 
you know, it kind of reminds me that there's so much value in earning our money. Now, you earned it, but like that, that monthly earning of money is such a valuable thing. And I wrote a book, How to Start Building Your Wealth, Investing in the Stock Market. And basically, you know, I explain that, that how it's important to live below your means. But a lot of times when we, what I try to teach people is that if you want to get rich, don't invest in the stock market. The stock market is where you grow your wealth. You create your wealth, usually through business. The richest people out there have businesses. That's where they created their wealth. But also, if you're earning a salary of $100,000 and you're living on $70,000, you've just created $30,000 of wealth in that year, let's say. Right. You've created that wealth. You have created a cash machine. Now, Businesses struggle to build cash flow. You've created it. And so focus on creating that cash machine, earning that, and then use the stock market to grow it. And that made me think you should have probably bought the stock of Ethan Allen rather than the furniture of Ethan Allen. That's exactly right. <laughs> Although I, I wish I, you know, it would have been Apple. I wish I would have yeah, bought Apple. It was, it was at yeah. $4 a share. And, uh, and, then, and then you also realize that Bank presidents only pay attention to cash, not furniture. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. So based upon what you learned from this experience and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Let's just look at a situation where they do get a windfall. And this is a fireball. It's like someone throwing you a fireball. Like, oh, yeah. this is going to burn you up or what? Listen to Richard's advice so that you, you know, you don't make this mistake. What would be that one piece of advice? <laughs> My advice would be to give it up in such a way that you can't get, that it's not part of your, your daily life. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is to give it to a financial planner, give it to an investment broker, give it to somebody who you trust, mm -hmm. who's going to then keep it away from you. Because in my case, there was nobody to stop me from making incredibly dumb and terrible decisions on a daily basis. And if I had just had somebody, the bank president, I don't know anybody that just said, hey, hey, why don't, here, why don't you give, not to give me, but I, what I'm saying is, is that get it out of your life. This windfall that you just got, yeah, one, pay off your debts. And then take whatever's left and get it out of your life. And it is not part of your living expenses. It is not part of your anything. It was easy in, easy out. You didn't have it before. So pretend like it never came, but use it to reset the, this happened to me just a few years ago, Andrew, is that I had an, another windfall, but the windfall here went from, I was $700,000 in debt. And because of a windfall, I went to zero. And I got to tell you, I was feeling pretty happy with myself. But at that point, it was like, okay, what can I do to never, ever drop below this new setting of zero yep. to make sure that the, and so that would be my advice is when the windfall comes in, set yourself back to zero. Now get whatever's left. Do, do not touch it. <laughs> get it out of your hands. However that takes, if it, even if it requires call, picking up a phone and having to call somebody to get it back, yep. whatever, because it's, we get enamored and I would like to think that I've learned. I finally did actually. So that's, that's why I'm, I'm doing okay now. So what's a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? 
So my resource that I'm going to recommend is not based on financial, but it is a book. It's a book that I have been talking about a lot. And there might be, there's, I'm going to mention three books, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Okay. You got yours right there. There you go. Absolutely. Got mine on my bookshelf. Fantastic book to change your behavior. And you've already picked up on our conversation that I really focus on advice that changes behavior. Yep. Number two, The Power of Habits. Mm. Yep. Okay. Charles Durie. And number three. Yep. And the number three is The Motivational Myth. Mm. The Motivational Myth basically is, hey, before I do anything, I got to get motivated. And the m- truth is, I got to do things and that will motivate me. Mm. The, it's the actual action of getting things done that brings motivation more than motivation to go get things done. And that yeah. is the myth. And it's incredibly powerful. So when you combine those three, atomic habits, power of habits, and motivational myth, you find this triangle of reinforcement that allows you to change your life with very easy steps back to the whole financial thing. Take tiny little steps to make huge changes down the road. And that's what those three books will uh, help your listeners do. And they've helped me tremendously. Great resource. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I just set that goal with my team from a business standpoint. We doubled our revenue last year. We're looking to double our revenue again this year. It's a, I picked a word of the year and the word of the year for the company is audacious. Our fundamental year word for our company is empowerment. We believe in empowering our employees. I publish, I pay my employees because we write a lot for executives and that type of thing. I pay my employees to write books for themselves. I pay them to sit down and write their own book. We edit it. We publish it so that they can be a published author and feel good about themselves. And I really enjoy that. But the the goals that we have set this year for the company is to continue this trajectory of growth that we've had because we've you've heard my my value that I've delivered here to your listeners. Yep. And this is really resonating with a lot of my clients. And then the other one is to get my two oldest daughters married off. I have two weddings coming up for my two of my five daughters decided to get married within weeks of each other in two different places in the United States. So mm. that's the other big goal that I have. So that would, that would be my goal. Yeah. So my word for the year, ladies and gentlemen, is Richard. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of value that you got, listeners. And there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't taken the risk reduction assessment, I've challenged you to go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and start building your wealth the easy way by reducing risk. As we conclude, Richard, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? It was a pleasure to be here, Andrew, and I would encourage people to reach out if they have any questions. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, and I'd be more than willing to answer any questions they might have. Take him up on that, ladies and gentlemen. That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is about one guest, one story, one mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, saying, I'll see you on the upside.